Great, so this morning we're going to be coming to the end uh, of our series, that this sort of occasional series that we've been doing called Dress for Battle. There's our resident warrior up here today, but um, this is a series. And as we come to the end of this, I, I want to say thank you to uh, Janice and to Sanjay, who have also taught on this series that we've been doing over a few weeks. I think we started it while we were still on Zoom. So thank you to both of you for the ministry you brought in this uh, particular area. Um, they will be recorded, as Silas has mentioned, so you can rehear them through the website or some other means. But just a reminder, we have considered um, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the good news or the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit, which is what we're going to look at this morning as the final piece of this six aspects of the armor of God that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 6. Now, Many, many, many years ago, Janice and I, along with Vincent Babs and Terry and Julie, we ran a camp in the New Forest at Rockinghurst for some 20 plus years. And during that time, we had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of children from all over the country come to a camp. And it was just a real privilege to teach them and have fun together. Um, most of them will be adults now, but they're children. And occasionally we bump into them and say, I remember those great days at camp. What a blessing it was. And one of the things we used to do at camp was something called sword drill. And we taught the children that the Bible is like the sword. And we encouraged children to know the Bible, to know their way around the Bible. So I thought I would do that this morning. Uh, we're going to have a game of sword drill. And ask four people to come out. And essentially what we say is we say, shoot the sword, which is like this. Draw your sword, which is like this, and then I will say a verse of scripture, and then after that, charge, and the first person who finds it and reads it out is the winner. Okay, so just a good thing to do. So, Victor, would you please come out and stand on the stage? Emmy, <coughs> would you come and stand on the stage, please? Oh, you're okay, welcome. Well, stand up here. You're all given the exactly the same bite, so there's no advantage. John, do you mind coming and joining us, please, on the stage? And uh, Mary, would you mind coming up? Okay, so if you're all having exactly the same Bible, okay. They're exactly the same. Well, the Gideon, so I'm sure that gives them an advantage, doesn't it? Well, this one's more than mine. Oh, well. I don't know if you want it on the cover on without Mary, but okay so it goes like this so shoot your sword stand in a nice time just with your soldiers okay shoot your sword draw your sword okay and the verse of scripture when i say charge is hebrews 4 verse 12. hebrews no no that's <laughs> hebrews 4 verse 12. charge well, that's the sound of my living and acting faster than ever. Okay, one to me. There's always someone on this. Okay, two to Sorry. 
I'm sure you might know this one. Right. Joy Sword. Ezekiel 5, verse 1. Say with me. Ezekiel 5, verse 1. Judge. Oh, he doesn't know that. <laughs> really? How soon did you do this? I'm going to take a sharp sword and use it as a father's razor. Fine, that's good enough. Son of man, take a sharp sword. Excellent. Right, the last one. Shift your sword. Draw your sword. Judges 7, verse 22. Keep them up. Judges 7, verse 22. Repeat after me. Judges 7, verse 22. Judge. Your body naturally releases to go to that area of pain. 
take the sword of the Spirit. Just a little note, this sword was called a Macaparia or a Gladius, which was a short sword, about 20 or 30 inches long. In uh, modern day measurement, that's 50 to 75 centimeters. And it literally means it was a sword of close combat. It wasn't one of these big things that you swish around. It was for close combat. Satan will never fight you from a distance. He will always come close. Think of Jesus when he was tempted in the wilderness. He was hungry. And the Bible says Satan came to him. He said, Look at these stones on the ground. You've got the power to turn them into bread because you're hungry. In the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve were in that perfect setting that God had created at the beginning of time, the serpent came to them. Satan will never find you from a distance. He will always come close. That's an interesting fact that this sword is something in close combat. So what have we got to do with this sword? Let's just look at a few things. Okay, the first thing that Paul tells us is simply this. Take it. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. It could be argued that one could be dressed for battle with this armor without having the sword. Because Paul says, with all this armor, we are to stand. And so it could be possible that you have all this protective armor on, and you literally stand there and soak up everything that the enemy would throw against you. But that would be a very one-sided battle where you offer no threat to the schemes of the, the enemy. This is why Paul says in, um, to Timothy on one occasion, he says to Timothy, endure suffering along with me as a good soldier. Soldiers are trained and equipped to be able to fight when necessary. That is important. Sajay, did, did you have to learn to use any weapons when you were training as a chaplain? To handle the To handle a rifle. This guy went into the RF as a chaplain and he's taught to handle a rifle. I mean, it doesn't make sense, does it? <laughs> But this is what soldiers are taught to do. Now, chaplains will never take up a rifle and shoot somebody. It's contrary to what they stand for. But every soldier is trained to use a weapon. So maybe in a few months' time, Lily will turn up here and, uh, with a, a rifle, a wooden one, a pretend one. Tell us what she's been learning as a cadet. You see, the sword of the Spirit is not an optional extra. Paul says, take it. Don't leave it behind. Don't go without it. Take it. It is part of your equipment. Don't go into battle without it. And the interesting thing, if any of you are sort of into English grammar, I never really grasp English grammar, the verbs and the adverbs. James did teach me what a gerund was when I was writing love letters to a verb. It's a proverbial noun. Oh, a verbal noun, not a verbal one, a verbal noun. <laughs> anyway, just, just a little bit of grammar here. This word take, grammatically in Greek, is in the 
face of this armor because of who it belongs to. It is the sword of the Spirit. It's as if in a battle, the Holy Spirit says to you, Here, have my sword. You're winning that. That's simply what it is. It's the sword of the Holy Spirit. And He will hand it to you. He will pass it to you so that you can be a victor and a conqueror and a winner again and again because we will never be defeated with the sword of the Spirit. And remember, the Holy Spirit is with us in every situation. How do I know that? Well, Paul tells us in Romans, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. Vic very wisely and very cleverly quoted this scripture from memory. It's great to have it memorized. The word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the two-edged, sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit. Powerful. It exposes our own most thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is made and exposed before him. That's how sharp the sword of the Spirit is. So, we've got to take it, not leave it, take it. Second thing that we need to do is we need to know it. Because this sword is symbolic of the Word of God. And it is literally the rima of God. Those of you who understand a little bit of Greek, that Greek word for word that Paul uses here in Ephesians is the rima of God, which literally is about when God speaks to us personally. Now, God will speak to us in many ways, but His personal word in the Greek language is a rima word. The whole of the Bible is the logos. We call it the word of God. And the logos literally means the thoughts, the plans, the purposes of God. Jesus was the logos of God. John 1 verse 1, in the beginning was the word, that's the logos. Jesus was, was the plan, the purpose of God. And he came into the world to be our Savior. But when God speaks directly to you, it's a rima word in the Greek language. It might be directly through a scripture. It might be directly through some word of prophecy, some word of knowledge or wisdom. It might be directly through something that somebody says to you. It could be through a dream. But when you know that God has directly spoken to you something that's very relevant to your personal situation, that is a real word. Let me give you an example. Many, many years ago, Janice and I were planning to move house. We found a house that we wanted. And then we lost our buyer. Oh, oh and the people we were buying from, they said, well, we're sorry, we're going to put it on the market and we'll see if we can sell it. So we really felt that this house was the house that God had given to us. It was felt an answer to our prayers in many respects. And then we got another buyer. So we went back to the agent, said, we've got a buyer, you know, it's all back on. But the people we were buying off, well, they've got someone else who had offered them, and they were having to decide do they sell to that person or do they sell to us? And we were in this kind of state.
sight of being in the balance. Will I choose us or will I choose the other people? And I remember getting up that morning and in my daily reading, I just was reading from the book of Ezekiel, I think it was, and I read these words, pack your bags, you are going to move from here to another place. I thought, wow! And I knew that we were going to get that house. Even though that morning, the owners were going to decide with the estate agent whether it was going to be us or the other people. This was God saying to me, pack your bags, you are going to move from here to another place. Later that morning, we got a phone call from the estate agent. They said, guess what? They decided that they would sell the house to you. And we've been living in it for the last 13, 3 years. That was a rumor. <coughs> that doesn't happen every day. But we all have those moments when God directly says something, something directional, something that's very specific. And that was that arena word of God. And Paul says this, the soul of the Spirit is the rema of God. It will be there for you to use in specific moments on specific occasions. So how do we know when God is speaking to us? Well, firstly, God will never, ever contradict his word. You know that. God will never, ever contradict what he says through the Bible. So that's really important because that becomes a benchmark to know that, okay, God has spoken to me because I can find confirmation through the Scriptures. When Janice and I first went to theological college, for one of the first lectures, we were introduced to this verse from the Bible. Study. Do your best to present yourself to God approved, a welcome tested by trial, who has no reason to be ashamed, accurately handling or dividing and skillfully teaching the word of the truth. We have never ever forgotten that scripture. It's a command. We need to study the Word of God. If you don't study the Word of God, you won't know it. And if God speaks to you, you won't know whether it is from God or not from God if you can't measure it against the Bible as your benchmark. Jesus said in John 17, Your Word is truth. And we had read to us this morning from Romans chapter 10 by Phil, these words, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Faith comes as you hear and receive the word of God. That's why it's important to read the Bible on a daily basis. Have a healthy habit of meditating and absorbing the scriptures. The psalmist, he said this, I consider your words to be my greatest treasure and I treasure it with all my heart. What a great statement. Can you say that? I consider your word to be my greatest treasure. That's how he felt about the word of God. And he had nothing like the number of scriptures that we have. All the psalmists had were the first five books of the Bible. And some of them are hard going. But he said, your word is my treasure. I treasure it in my heart. George Muller, a great missionary Christian, he said this, the less we read the Word of God, the less we desire to read it. Wow. It's true, though. 
If you get out of the habit of reading the scriptures on a daily basis, you'll soon find it will be weeks and months before you do it. And he also went on to say, and there's space on there, the less we pray, the less we desire to pray. That's why all of you should join us on Zoom on Tuesday night. I do not understand why the prayer meeting in all churches is the least attended. I understand that. Never understood it. But it's a fact. So we need to know the Word of God so that we can use that sword of the Spirit. If you know God's Word, it will live within you at all times and will be powerful in every situation that you face. Right, one last thing. We've got to take it, we've got to know it, and of course, we have to use it. Do you know, sometimes I buy for Janice more modern gadgets for her kitchen. I like watching Master Chef and I see the kind of gadgets that they use sometimes. So some time ago I bought a new guide squeezer. She had this old one, she said, oh, it really hurts my hands. And I got this really expensive one that I thought was really great. Coming from an engineering background, I thought this would be so simple. Do you know she still prefers an old one? Sometimes old habits die hard, don't they? Because what you know, you become comfortable with. And you think, well, I don't know how it works, don't you? And, and it does the job for me. I'm praying secretly that it'll break. <laughs> but, you know, for all of us, you know, when we get comfortable with what we're used to and we're just happy with it, it works and it comes out default. How well? Bible, I want it all prepared and all packaged, so I'll get this out and it'll give it to me. This 
bite-sized piece, and that will do it. It won't do it. This is why the challenge of the sword drill. All of these folks, they knew their way around the Bible. They knew where Ezekiel was. They knew where Judges was. We need to know the Bible back to front, inside out. We used to sing a song of the 66 books in the Bible. I learned it as a child, and it stuck. I can sing it all through. I know every book of the Bible in order, just like I know my time's tables. Because I learned it as a child. We need to have a strategic grasp of the scriptures so that we can use them appropriately. The Bible is full of promises, it's full of wisdom, it's full of guidance, it's full of understanding of how to live. But we need to know it so we can use it in those challenging times when our faith is confronted. You will know that famous battle in the Old Testament where David went against Goliath. I was looking at that this week. The armies of Israel were at war with the Philistines. And the Philistines came up with this idea to save a lot of bloodshed. You've got this champion giant. If you give us one of your men, and we'll let the two of them fight it out, and whoever wins, that will separate. And a brilliant idea. Save the loss of thousands of lives. So, of course, Goliath turns up nine feet tall, and the whole of the army of Israel, the king saw they run away in fear. And every day Goliath would turn up and he would talk to them and say, Come on, give me a man, let's have a fight. And they all run. David turns up, this little boy, to bring some bread and cheese to his brothers who were soldiers, and he hears what's going on. He says, Who is this Philistine who dares to stand against the armies of the living God? I'll fight him. Well, they try and put him off and say he's stupid. His brother says, Go back home and look after your sheep. But eventually he is brought to King Saul. And Saul, being the wimp that he was, says, All right, you go and fight him. It won't amount to much. And Saul says this, I'll give you my armor. Now, the king had the best armor of all. This was the greatest. Listen to what David says in response. Okay. Paul gave David his own coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested to Paul. I am not used to them. I've never used So he goes with his stone and his sling and he thinks, Goliath, what a great story. But they say, I can't go with these, I'm not used to them. How many Christians face battle with the enemy but they, they can't fight because they're not used to handling the word of God? We've got to know how to use it. You'll only be able to use the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, by knowing it through and through. In Revelation 12, verse 11, there was a battle that was won against Satan, and he said they won by the blood of the Lamb and the Word in their testimony. How do you get a testimony? By proving the Word of God. That's how you get a testimony. 
You're going to test me by proving that all things work together for good to them that love God. You're going to test me to prove when you prove that God is faithful in every situation and He will never forsake you or leave you. That's what you're going to test me. And these people in the Revelation, it was through the blood of Jesus, but by the word of their testimony, they were strong enough to come against Satan and to win the battle. Go to Revelation 19. I want to read just a few verses as we draw to a conclusion this morning. Revelation 19. This is wonderful. It's exciting. I read it the other day. I thought, wow, that's great. Revelation 19, verse 11. The last book of the Bible is Revelation. It says, verse 11, Then I saw heaven open, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider's name was Faithful and True. This is the description of Jesus. He judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood but himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven, dressed in finest, pure white linen, followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe and on his thigh were written this title, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Go to verse 19. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse of his army. And the beast was captured. And within the false prophet who did many mighty miracles on behalf of the beast, miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark of the beast and who had worshipped his statue. Both the beast and the false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Their entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding on the horse. That's a picture of end times when Jesus will return and he will rule and reign and set the affairs of this world in order because he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Okay, so we've got to take the sword of the Spirit. We've got to know how to use the sword of the Spirit and we've got to use it. But one final thing we must not forget is this. Keep it I've got someone here. Quite old. Some of you will understand what these things are. There's a few of them here. They are chisels that I use for woodworking. Now, these are just from my father. I don't know who they've gone to before him, but they're probably over 100 years old. But whenever I get them out and I need to do a bit of chiseling, they work because I keep them sharp. Yeah. You have a stone that you rub them on and it keeps the edge sharp. You will understand, it's a very simple illustration. But how often do we as Christians fail to keep our cutting edge sharp? Because we don't attend the house at all. 
Some people turn up to church on a Sunday ad hocly. There are other people you know will be there every single Sunday, and if they're not there, they're sending a message and saying, I'm really sorry, I can't be here today. You see, people who are totally committed, they remain sharp because they have a passion and a commitment to live for Jesus in every way that they possibly can. So we're just going to have a few minutes for a little question. Discuss. How do we go about keeping our knowledge of the Word of God sharp and effective in our daily lives? Just take two or three minutes on your table to talk about that. Tell each other, how do you go about staying spiritually sharp in your Christian life, in your Christian thinking, so that you are effective in your life with Jesus? Just have a little chat and then we will come up. Thank <laughs> you.